0: Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply his word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on SouthridgeCC.org. So let's get started.
1: A December 2021 Wall Street journal article was entitled, More Americans Left Religion During the Pandemic. The article actually cited a number of, a bunch of data from Pew Research uh, saying that Christianity is both sort of in decline in the United States and that there is also decline in church attendance in the U.S. as well. Uh, research highlights that the number of American Christians has fallen about 12% over the last 10 years. Now, sometimes we, Southridge remind all of us that this is census-based stuff, and oftentimes on a census, people used to check just Christianity off simply because they really had no other thing to check off. Maybe their family tradition was Christian. They really weren't necessarily active in following after Jesus, but if they didn't identify as some other religious persuasion, maybe they knew their parents and grandparents identified as Christian, and so they would often check the Christian box box on some sort of census form. In 2011, about 75% claimed to be Christians in America. In in 2021, that dropped to 63%. Also, the uh, number of nuns grew during that period of time. Uh, Nuns are not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. And nuns refer to the number of people who check off the box of none. They identify with no particular religious persuasion. And again, sort of researchers feel that these folks generally really haven't been active in any kind of faith for many years. And maybe cultural pressure used to determine that they would check off the nun box. But without that cultural pressure, Now people are simply saying, well, yeah, maybe my parents or grandparents were Christian, but I'm simply gonna check none. And so the number of nuns is growing. Uh, Between nuns, atheists, and agnostics, about 30% of the population accounts for that group. Uh, 41% of U.S. adults think religion is very important in their lives, which is four points lower than in 2020. The number of people who pray daily is at 45%, about one-third of U.S. adults, uh, 32% said they seldom or never pray. You know, whatever the state of the church is in the U.S., Jesus in John chapter 17 prays for his followers. And Jesus prays with a sense. And just reading his prayer, our confidence grows that Jesus is still at work in our world. People are still being drawn to him. If you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 23. And in John 17, over the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned there are kind of three parts to Jesus' prayer in John 17. All of John 17 is Jesus praying, but there's three parts to that prayer. The first part is Jesus is simply praying for himself. He prays that he would glorify the Father in heaven. The second part is that Jesus prays for his disciples of that time. He prays that they would be protected. And the third part is that Jesus prays for those who are yet future disciples of his who would eventually believe. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, not just the present disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Uh, You might want to underline, highlight, circle that word will. Who will believe. That would be us. Jesus knew that his disciples of that time would go out, that they would tell others, that they would pass the message of Jesus on. And generation after generation after generation, here we are in Clinton, New Jersey in 2021. We are the ones that Jesus was referring to who will believe in that message. The picture that you saw on the screens of those gathered in Belarus, Jesus prayed for them 2,000 years ago. It's pretty amazing when you think about all that's happening with that. We're gonna look at three basic things when it comes to this prayer of Jesus. And uh, first thing we're going to look at is simply the height of Jesus' prayer, the height of Jesus' prayer. And when I say the height of Jesus' prayer, I'm not just talking about this prayer in particular, but all of his prayers in John chapter 17, there's a common thread in those prayers where Jesus is praying for each group, number one, himself, secondly, the disciples surrounding him, thirdly, those who would yet to believe, he prays for them in reference to their vertical relationship to the God of heaven. John 17, I'll read verses 20 through 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In every prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, for himself, for his disciples immediately surrounding him, for those who are yet still to believe, Jesus prays about their vertical relationship with the Father in heaven, the the depth of that relationship. Here's what he says about himself. Father, the hour has come. This is verse one. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus is praying about himself in reference to his own relationship with the Father in heaven. Related to the disciples around him. Verse 11 of chapter 17, Holy Father, protect them by your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. In every one of those instances, Jesus is praying about the spiritual life of who they are, the spiritual dynamic of their relationship with the Father in heaven. Here's what I want to kind of challenge all of us to. When Jesus gave us the Lord's prayer, he referenced the fact that one of the things that we're to pray for is give us this day our daily bread. And so it's a thousand percent, a thousand percent appropriate to pray for things like good health, to pray for things like a good job. To pray for things like a medical appointment or surgery or a diagnosis. It's a thousand percent appropriate to pray for that. It's a thousand percent appropriate to pray for a housing need. Maybe a furnace breaks down and you pray for a new furnace. It's a thousand percent appropriate to pray for your daily bread. But Jesus in this prayer also prays for kind of our vertical relationship with the Father in heaven. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, in addition to saying, give us this day our daily bread, it talks about our our relationship with the divine. Even the battle that we have with the spiritual forces of darkness. So Jesus prays not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level as well. One of my just kind of favorite verses is it comes from Third John. It's kind of a pattern for maybe some of my own prayers as I pray for people. And, And maybe it can be a pattern for your prayers as well. In third John, third John only has one chapter. Uh, it's not the Gospel of John, where John is recounting the story of Jesus. There's first, second, and third John, which are really tiny letters, all the way at the end of the New Testament. In third John, chapter one and ver- ch- uh, chapter one it's the only chapter there is. Verses one and two. Here's what it says: "The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth." Then, kind of get this prayer. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy, you know what comes next? Good health. And then it's good health. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that all may go well with you. I love that prayer. Friends, it's appropriate for your loved ones, for your family, for those of your relatives, those you know, it's appropriate for you to pray, man, I pray that they would have good health. I love it that that prayer is in the Bible. It's appropriate to pray. I pray that all may go well with them. Maybe they're looking for a job. Maybe they're searching for a house. Who knows what it is. It's appropriate for you to pray. I pray that it would go well with them. And then he says this, even as your soul is getting along well. Isn't that amazing? I pray that you may enjoy good health. That all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. In other words, he prays for physical needs. I pray that you would get great health. But in addition to that, he also prays, I pray for your soul. I pray that your soul would be oriented to God in the right kind of way. I pray that the experience of your soul and spirit, that that would be filled with life as well. I pray that you would not just be sustained physically, but that you would be sustained spiritually. You know, on Accelerate Weekend, the speaker said, and I I love this, he said, you know, when if lots of us have a hard time praying, and his challenge to us was simply this, pray exactly where you are. In other words, don't sort of say, oh, man, I got to get someplace else before I start praying. He said, no, like, pray exactly what is on your mind to God right now, and as you pray, God will change your heart. And maybe a next step for some of us who pray, or maybe you pray for grandkids, maybe you pray for children, maybe you pray for your spouse, maybe you pray for nieces and nephews, maybe you pray for aunts and uncles, maybe you pray for friends or colleagues or neighbors, whatever it is, who are followers of Jesus. And maybe a next step is as you pray for your grandkids, as you pray for your kids, it's not just may they be provided for physically, but maybe you also begin to pray that their soul would be getting along well. Maybe you pray that God's work would take root in their lives. You know, we'll have child dedication here in the beginning of April. And these parents stand up here. And, and yes, they commit to being physical providers for their kids, providers of physical needs, but they also pray, God, help these children as they grow up. May they have a connection with you. May they be rooted and grounded in your truth. Maybe when you pray, Like maybe the stuff of like health and again, a thousand percent appropriate of medical diagnosis or physical needs. Maybe that naturally comes to mind. What would happen if you said, God, make me just sensitive in this moment to what your Holy Spirit desires for me to pray for this particular person. Just let me, let me sense how your Holy Spirit would like me to pray for this person in relationship to how they're connected with you. Let me just kind of give you a couple of ideas and maybe you want to write these down because rather than kind of like make up your own, there's some great examples that Paul gives us in the epistles. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 19. I'm not going to read all of the verses, but you might want to write those verses down and read them uh, later this afternoon. Here's just a slice of what he prays. Just imagine, friends, if you begin to pray this for your kids, for your grandkids, for your friends, for your spouse, for those you connect with, for your nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, just begin to envision praying this for people. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. And it's uncomparably great power for those who believe. Just imagine, friends, what it looks like to pray that for those that you love. Not just that they would have great health but that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to grasp the beauty and the hope of what God has for them. Ephesians three fourteen through 19 is another set of verses of prayer that Paul gives us. Again, write it down, read the whole thing this afternoon, start praying it for somebody. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, maybe when you're praying for someone, Holy Spirit lays that on your heart. God, I pray that so-and-so would be rooted and established in your love. That they may made power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because it's been a while since you said, man, God, I pray for so-and-so. May they grasp how wide and deep your love really is. May it grip their life. May it capture their soul. May it capture their being. May they be rooted and grounded in your love. May they be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an incredibly beautiful and powerful prayer. Colossians 1, 9 through 14 is the last one I'll talk about. Again, quite a few verses there. I remember to this day, a woman in this church, probably about 20 20 years ago, saying to me, Nathan, I pray Colossians 1, 9 through 14 for you every single day. Uh, some of you think my life is a mess now, and it is. Imagine what I'd be like if it weren't for people like that praying for me. Like seriously, friends, this is one of my favorite prayers in all the scripture. Take some notes on it. Use it as a prayer. Again, not just for health. Yes, do that. But also, I'll just read a couple phrases for it. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Friends, what I simply want to do do is, is challenge you to pray in a pattern similar to Jesus. Again, thousand times appropriate to pray for health, but maybe those are the things that naturally come to mind, health and safety and physical provision. Maybe you want to take the next step. Say, God, I pray that this person might be enriched in their spirit. May they begin to grasp the height, the beauty, the depth, the breadth of your love. May they be filled with your Holy Spirit. May they be fruitful in all that you've given them to do. That's the height of Jesus' prayer. He's not just praying horizontally. He's also praying vertically to the Father in heaven and the relationship with him. That's the height of the prayer. Secondly is the depth of the prayer, the depth of the prayer. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, here's where you get into the depth stuff. And this is kind of hard to just reading It's kind of confusing and kind of trip over some words, uh, but, but you get a sense of the depth of this prayer that Jesus is praying. He says that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me, And I am in you. That's kind of deep, isn't it? That father's in the son, the son is in the father. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. I in them and you. This is the depth of Jesus. It's not just surface stuff. It's not just, hey, may they all get along. Like this prayer goes pretty deep. I just just even keep it in my own, straight in my own head. I kind of needed to outline what it looks like because there's a lot of in me and this guy and this guy and this guy and this, it's just kind of confusing. He says this, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, just as you, Father, are in me. This is the Son. So the Father is in the Son. But then he also says, and I am in you. In other words, the Father is in the Son, but the Son is also in the Father. Like, that's kind of deep, isn't it? And then he says, may they also be in us. So there's the they, that would be us today. May they be in us. And the us is the Father And the son, he's talking to the father. So when he's referring to to us, may they, may we here today be in us. May we be in the father and the son. Obviously, the father, son, and Holy Spirit are a trinity. They're all one, three persons, but one being. And then he says this, I in them and you in me. In other words, the son, the son in them, and then lastly, the father and the son. Here's what he says. Uh, I in them and you and me. The son is in them. The son is in us. And then the father is in the son. That's like complex. That's like pretty deep stuff, isn't it? You're a little like crazy in your head. Like how, like, how does that all work? Uh, the father's in the son. The son is in the father. We, us, we are in us, the father and son being the us, the son is in them, again, that's the they and them is the same, and the father is in the son. It's really, it's a little bit challenging. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's using uh, kind of like spatial language for a relational dynamic. He's saying, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all intensely one. There's an intensity of oneness, an intensity of being. And he says, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is a oneness, there is a unity, there's a connection, there's an intensity of relationship that exists between you and the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So much so, that Father, Son are actually in you through the Holy Spirit. Again, we sometimes talk about being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It doesn't mean like if you cut me open, you're gonna, oh, like there's the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, he takes an x-ray in my body. It's gonna be the same way as the x-ray of anybody. It's not like, you know, you're gonna do surgery and oh, like there's the Holy Spirit. No, no, when scripture talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling as in us, being in us, it's saying the relational dynamic between ourselves and God is so strong. It's so intense that it's not just with him. It's not just he's generically present with us. He's in you. It's as if you are, you are welded to the divine reality of the Trinity. Like Jesus, we become the severe of divine. Act. Listen, friends, you are the severe of divine activity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. You might say, like, what's that all mean? Maybe maybe here's a way to kind of think about it. Uh, how many of you like roller coasters in here? Probably up in the balcony, you guys like roller coasters online? You go like roller coasters? Yeah, it's a number of... Like, I haven't ridden a roller coaster for probably 25 years or something. It's been a long time. Um, but, but, but here's, I remember riding a roller coaster and you kind of like step on the platform and then you get into the roller coaster thing, whether it's, you know, an open one or whatever it is, and, and, and you're seated in there. And then what happens next? That typically the thing comes like over you and it like latches across your chest. At that moment you're going for a ride whether you want to or not. Right? Like, right. You go, you're gone for the ride. And here's the deal. Your body goes wherever that roller coaster goes. The truth of that roller coaster becomes your truth. If that roller coaster is a hundred miles an hour, your body is going a hundred miles an hour. If that roller coaster lurches left or right, your body lurches left or right. If that roller coaster goes downhill, uphill, around a turn, your body goes wherever that roller coaster goes. Why? Because you are one with that roller coaster. In fact, it's lethal if that oneness is broken, right? Like the only way you survive is to be one with the roller coaster. You can think about getting into an airplane. Like, man, once you're in that airplane, you're in that tube, you're out over the ocean, you're one with that plane. If you get out, like, like you're going where that plane is going. Same thing is true with what Jesus is saying. Friends, you are one with it. Do you know what that looks like? Do you know what that means? That, that, That Jesus says the Father and Son are in you through the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. In other words, he uses the most intense language that he can to explain the fact that divine activity happens in you. Like you, be, you have union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death by faith. You are united to him. That's who you are. Jesus conquers all. Jesus owns all of creation. All that's created belongs to him. If he is in you and you're in him, you, all things belong to you. Friends, maybe just a couple of ways that this applies individually and then Jesus actually applies more corporately when he says this is the way that we become one. Individually, maybe you're a businessman. Maybe you're a businessman. And God has given you just an enormous amount of success. You make tons of money. You oversee lots of people. You are pretty high positionally in terms of the company or corporation. Like you you influence a lot of stuff. The fact that you are one with Christ means that you can't have a hint of arrogance about your role. You can't have a hand of, well, like, aren't I the thing? No, all that you have is in Christ. Like you can take zero credit and say, man, like I must be pretty smart. Like friends, you're just created. And so if God has given you a place of Position and power and authority and wealth or whatever it is. Thank the Lord for that. It's a blessing from him. But because you are one for Christ, one with Christ means that you can't, re- you can't take credit and hoard it for yourself. Maybe some of you are, are young moms that have felt the call of God to just care for your kids. To raise them and maybe you have an advanced degree, and maybe you say, man, like, in the world, I'm sort of nothing because I clean up poop and throw up all day long, and that's sort of who you are, and and that amounts to, to nothing in terms of this world, and maybe you're tempted to sometimes think that, wow, man, I could, you know, make a lot of money out there, and I could, you know, get more acclaim and more credit and And maybe feel a better sense of professional accomplishment. And you just feel that God is, by his Holy Spirit, has led you to, to be in the home. If you are one with Christ, friends, you are not just in the home. You are God's daughter. All the riches of Christ belong to you. You are one with him. No matter unseen or invisible, you may sometimes feel you are one with Christ. Maybe God's given you incredible athleticism, or maybe as a college student or a high school student, maybe you're just really gifted in academics, and you excel athletically, or you excel academically, or you excel in some other kind of activity. What it means for you to be one in Christ is that all that you do, all that you're accomplished, all your academic expertise, all your athletic accomplishments, don't simply, you're not one with them. You're one with Christ. And so you don't hoard credit. You don't hoard fame. You don't hoard acclaim from other people because you are one in Christ. It's Christ that gets that. Maybe you feel like you have no gifts to offer at all. Like you're just a nobody. You feel like you're a dummy in the class. You feel uncoordinated and stupid. And you feel like you've got nothing. Friends, listen, you are one with Christ. You have everything through Christ. You have everything in Christ. You are one with him. That's the depth of Jesus. Friends, this this is massively deep stuff. It's transformational. Your union with Christ changes everything about how you live. So my question is this, what are you in union with this morning? What are you in union with? Are you in union with Christ? Are you in union with the Holy Spirit? Or are you, are you in union with something less? Are you in union with an income? Are you in union with a job? Are you in union with people's opinions of you? Are you in union with your reputation? Are you in union with Christ? Or does some other kind of union more define your life? Jesus prays, may they be in union with me. Which leads us to the last part the breath of Jesus' prayer. The breath. He says, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's breadth. Then the world will know that's breadth, that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What Jesus is saying is this as you are one with me, as you are in union with me, that will naturally weed out all of the other stuff that would otherwise destroy our unity as the body of Christ. You know, I realize we've been through a challenging couple of years with masks and vaccines and political stuff, and it's just been a myriad of stuff. Listen, friends, our union is not with a political figure. Our union is not with some position on a vaccine. Our union is not with some position on a mask. Our union is with Christ. And that's something we try to be really clear with at Southridge. We can unite with a lot of causes. We can unite with a lot of positions, and it'll destroy our unity. But if we are united to Christ, we will be brothers and sisters, and we will fulfill the vision for which Jesus prays that we would be one. And across the world, whether it's followers of Jesus in Belarus whether it's followers of Jesus in Russia, Ukraine, Poland, whether it's followers of Jesus in Zimbabwe, whether it's followers of Jesus in places hostile to Christianity like China or North Korea or places like India, wherever it is, we are united through Christ. We are brothers and sisters through Christ. I'm going to ask our team to come out, and we're going to conclude our service by singing a new song that really prays about a vision for this sense of oneness. While they're coming up, let me read this email that I got from Pastor Stan Bokun, again, who's in Belarus, who's one of our ministry partners. Don shared a little bit about him earlier. I'd sent him an email last week just saying, Hey, Pastor Stan, praying for you during this season of time, praying for your family, praying for your people. Here's what he said. And as I read this, I just want you to hear, I want you to hear, the union with Christ, the unity for which Jesus prayed. He says, Dear Pastor Nathan, thank you so much for your prayers for me, my church, Belarus, and Ukraine. Thanks to everybody in the church who pray for us. By the way, he speaks phenomenal English, but English is his second language. So I'm just going to read it exactly how he writes it. He says, Thanks to everybody in the church who pray for us. God blessed us very much in these difficult times. Imagine saying that. I mean, the only way that you can say that is for your union with Christ to be greater than your union with circumstances around you. God blessed us very much in these difficult times. This is a blessing that may not be noticeable in appearance. We think more about the heavenly than the earthly. We learn how to trust God, not our plans. The church becomes more united and prays more often. We become more sensitive to the needs of others and more rejoice in what God has prepared for all believers in heaven. This is an amazing feeling when external circumstances make your brain afraid and in your heart a real peace. The peace because God has not gone anywhere He continues to control everything and everyone. And we are sure that his mercy is much greater than the evil of the whole world. We rejoice in his greatness, his glory, and his salvation, which we have. We pray a lot and thank you for your prayers. We hope that these horrible things will soon end and God will send peace in our land. Thank you for your prayers and care. It is very valuable to feel the love of beloved people in difficult times. And let's get a stand and we're going to sing this song that's basically a prayer. And friends, we sing this in solidarity with those who are followers of Jesus in places like Russia, in Ukraine, in Belarus, people in China in North Korea, in India, places like Zimbabwe, Africa, Japan, and Italy. We lift this together in solidarity and unity because on whatever feet, on whatever land our feet stand, our union is with Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when this song mentions our land, we envision that being the land of Ukraine, the land of Japan, the land of China, the land of Italy, the land of Belarus, the land of Russia, the land of Brazil, the land of the United States, the land of Canada, the land of India, every land on earth. This is our prayer. So let's sing this together. do we pray that prayer with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in Belarus, in Russia, in China, in North Korea, in India. And on every square inch of this globe, we pray this as one, because as followers of Jesus, we are united to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through that union, we are united to our brothers and sisters. May your Holy Spirit be at work. May we be people of obedience and action and worship. May your word become real to us. May you cause us to thirst for your truth. Thank you for the union that we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. We pray this and everyone who agreed said, Amen. 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 Our prayer team would be down here uh, to your right. We'd love to pray for you. God bless and have a wonderful day.